Hey Hokies, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the podcast. Um, this is part three of my three-part interview with professor and philosopher at VT, Justin Horn. If you haven't listened to the first two parts, I'd recommend you start with those. And if you have, please enjoy today's episode. Yeah, this is a great topic. So um, I taught this class this past semester called Morality and Justice. And uh, for like the last five weeks of the course, I just let the students pick what the issues are going to be. And this was one of the ones that um, I think it was maybe the very most popular one that people people voted to do. And yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting because maybe one place to start is with this idea that each of us uh, has a certain moral claim to do what we want to with our own bodies, at least insofar as we're not, you know, hurting others. Um, and so, you know, it would be outrageous, I think, to, to nearly everyone if if the government started saying things like, um, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to eat chocolate cake because chocolate cake is bad for you, right? Um, like I know chocolate cake is not the most healthy food, um, but there are other values besides physical health. And I choose to eat chocolate cake because it's delicious, right? Um, now, you know, you could say similar things about, of course, tobacco and alcohol. Tobacco and alcohol are known to have, um, you know, lots of negative health consequences, right. especially um you know, when they're abused, um, you know, more people die of tobacco every year than any other drug. Um, it's, it's horribly dangerous, but, um, we could also say, you know, should an individual be able to make a choice, uh, for themselves that's, that's harmful for themselves. I mean, I think it's a whole other question to say, should we ban smoking in public places? I, I think we should, cause then you're harming others with secondhand smoke. Um, but if someone wants to, you know, smoke tobacco in their own house, um, I'm inclined to think that they should be allowed to do so because they have this right to uh, make their own decisions. Now, I guess the one thing that's tricky here, though, mm-hmm. is not only are um, you know drugs like tobacco and also heroin and meth and other things like that, not only are these horribly, horribly bad for your health, um, there's also this wrinkle that I think is kind of interesting. Um, when we say that we don't want the government to tell people what they can put into their own bodies, we mm-hmm. say we want to respect people's autonomy, their ability to make their own free choices about what they're doing. But I think the wrinkle here is um, at least addictive drugs actually kind of deprive people of their autonomy in a certain way, which is, I think when you look around, I mean, just take the example of smoking again, Mm -hmm. like there are a lot of people who are addicted to tobacco who really, really don't want to be. And the fact that they've gotten addicted to tobacco in a certain way is kind of limiting their freedom. It's limiting their freedom to like live the kind of life they want to live um, because they can't overcome their addiction. And so I think that there's a little, you know, there's a way in which this gets sort of tortuous to think about because you think, well, on the one hand, we respect people's autonomy, we want to let them make their own decisions. But on the other hand, insofar as people become addicted to certain drugs, um, this kind of limits their freedom in some kind of way, you know, even if it's an internal limitation. Can't people you- who are in the grip of addiction, like, can't, can't actually act as freely as people who are not addicted. Yeah, Can't go ahead. use the the argument of like you said, government people don't want government to tell them what to do. But isn't the whole purpose of mm-hmm. the government to tell us what to do to protect us? We have rules that we all follow. You, you yeah. can't um, mindlessly kill people out on the street. So why is why is drugs an exception? I guess is my mm-hmm. why do you think drugs are an exception? Because they can, yeah. they're of danger to people. So why doesn't the government protect us from them? Yeah, great question. So I guess one thing to say is it's certainly legitimate for the government to prevent us from harming others. So I think, um, you know, laws against driving while intoxicated, whether on 
alcohol or any other mind altering substance, those are on a really firm foundation. Um, so insofar as we're worried about people harming other people, it's totally legitimate to limit their, their freedom. I think where it's a little bit trickier is um, what about when people are, are only or primarily harming themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, there are lots of dangerous activities that people enjoy. Um, should we tell people that they're not allowed to, uh, you know, climb mountains with no ropes? Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, if we did, that would be a very like paternalistic law. We would be saying, you know, we know better than you what's good for you. And so we're not going to let you do this thing that you want to do because we know what's best for you. Um, but I think at some point people really kind of chafe it like this paternalism, like this idea of the government sort of um, treating people like children or saying, we know best what's best for you, um, not to protect you from harming other people, but to prevent you from you know, harming yourself. And at the extreme, like at the extreme, I think, you know, everyone would get on board with that. We would say, no, the government shouldn't tell people how to eat, right? Mm-hmm. If the government started saying you have to eat broccoli every day because it's great for you, mm-hmm. um, we would, we would, you know, we would sensibly object to that, right? Sensibly. Um, so at some point we got to give people the freedom to decide what they're doing, what they're putting into their own bodies, uh, even if it's either choosing chocolate cake over broccoli. Um, yeah, but on the other hand, I mean, you know, but it does. I feel it does like it's. Be- I feel like it's different with that example because there's no yeah. there's no danger in not putting broccoli into your body. Yeah. I, th- I think that's where the difference lies. The the differences with drugs is that it, it yeah. puts you in danger uh, when you when you consume them. Right. And it does put others in danger with um, drunk driving or if you have kids and you expose them to said mm-hmm. drugs at a young age. Uh, there are lots of different ways um, drugs can affect others, mm-hmm. but even if they don't, uh, they, they are harming the individual. Right, right. But like, you, but like you said, my body, my choice. So, who are we to say? Yeah, I mean, and so like to take. So you're right. The broccoli example, you know, it's different when the government's telling you to put something into your own body. But what about you know, like Big Macs? Like, suppose you have a guy who uh, eats three Big Macs every day. Um, like this is um, this is harmful to the human body to consume that much fast food, right? And this person is at risk of um, you know shortening their life significantly through heart disease and uh, uh, you know high blood pressure and stuff like that. Um, but at some point, you know, maybe we want to say, yeah, you know, Big Macs aren't really good for you, but um, you know, it, it does seem important to give people the freedom to to choose what they're putting into their body in that way. Of course. There's a difference in degree. I mean, heroin is a lot worse for you than Big Macs. Um, but it seems like the difference is one of degree, right? Big Macs are a little bad for you. Heroin's terrible for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is that why you think um, alcohol and tobacco and now even marijuana are legal? You know, like why, why, are, why are these drugs legal? Is it because they're safer than the other ones? I'm, I'm not like an expert on the, uh, the wide variety of drugs in the world, but like... Um, I, I do think from everything that I know, um, marijuana, well, marijuana is probably safer than alcohol and tobacco from everything that I understand, it, although it has health risks too. Um, but, I, but I think alcohol, tobacco, and marijuana compared to meth or heroin, um, I do think that they're, they are less dangerous. Um, you know, people aren't, um, you know, dying of overdoses in the same way. And um, there is tremendous like public, public health uh, harms as a result of alcohol and tobacco. And so, if, you know, I, I mean, I could see someone sort of making the case and just saying, you know, we should prohibit these things. 
I think as a practical matter, that's, that's probably not likely to work. Um, if, if you were sympathetic to the sort of prohibitionist arguments, probably a better thing to do would just be to tax them heavily. Um, I think the, the more you tax alcohol and tobacco, the, the less of it people are going to use simply because it becomes more expensive. So you can find ways to disincentivize these things. If you tax them too heavily, then there might, there might end up being a black market. Um, but um, yeah, I guess it, it all kind of depends on the levels. Um, because, yeah, I mean, even if you can, even if you could produce, you know, moonshine or whatever and sell it cheaper, um, there's a lot of risks involved, both for the, the, the manufacturer who's risking going to prison and then the people who are consuming it who know that it's, you know, being made in this kind of shady underground way where there's not a lot of uh, protection or regulation. But no, it's, it's I think that, yeah. the, the, there are two main kind of discussions to be had when we talk about drugs in the U.S. and the first one is about making them all illegal or making them all legal. But I feel like we can both kind of agree that that the usage of drugs should be decriminalized to, to some level at least. I, I totally agree. I mean, so there's this whole area of debate, kind of like you said, there's, there's really at least two different things we can talk about. One is like, should people be able to decide what they put into their own bodies, even if the things they're putting into their bo- own bodies are very harmful? And I mean, that's an interesting question and, and we, we can debate mm-hmm. about that. But then on the other hand, there's the very practical question of like, okay, um, given that drugs, many, many drugs are very harmful to people. Are we so committed to, um, to prohibiting their use that we're willing to incarcerate people for decades or you know, lifetimes simply for you know, manufacturing and selling these substances? And yeah, I mean, and then there's a whole other debate right. to be had about like, the massive harms um, financially and in terms right. of like human lives of the drug war. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think you can, you can totally acknowledge that drug use and drug abuse is really harmful and, um, and still think, you know, the drug war also has been really harmful and um, yeah, finding ways to make our drug laws less punitive at least um, would probably be a good thing. There certainly is a lot to say about this. And I'm glad we were able to talk about it. I do want to move on to our next topic. Yeah, yeah. And that is political correctness. Um, I feel as though in your field, especially, there is a lot you have to watch out for. Uh, what, what are your What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this too is a very big topic, and I I uh, I wonder how much we'll be able to sort of get into it with time constraints. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, it's very it's it's very I think interesting and important to talk about. And on the one hand, I think it's interesting to sort of look at the history of this. So we're kind of in like the second wave of people being really interested in talking about political correctness. So there was this whole sort of, um, you know, emergence of this like back in the nineties where, where this was like the issue du jour. And then it kind of faded out of the consciousness. And over the last you know few years under various, uh, various names, it's very much back in the popular consciousness again. Mm-hmm. And I think on the one hand, like there, there's an element of political correctness that I think most of us can kind of get on board with, which is, um, we want to find ways living in like a multicultural, multiracial, um, you know, liberal democracy. Like we want to find ways where people can communicate respectfully with each other um, without sort of causing unnecessary uh, harm or offense. And so part of that, I think, does involve um, language. There are certain, you know, terms that are now antiquated and are regarded as sort of harmful. Um, and, you know, there's more emphasis now on um, yeah, addressing individuals or groups in the way that they want to be addressed. And I think in general, like, I, um, I think this is a, 
a very laudable sort of motivation. And I think it's something that we should all sort of try to practice. So um, to take an example, that's not one of the hot button issues. Like sure. I just think if I, if I meet somebody who uh, wants to be addressed a certain way, even if uh, I don't necessarily agree with the presuppositions behind it, I, I tend to do it. So, you know, I'm not Catholic, but if I meet a Catholic priest and they say, my, my name is father Smith, mm-hmm. I'm going to call them father Smith, even though um, they're not my father. And I don't necessarily accept, you know, Catholic assumptions about the authority of priests or anything like that. Um, I know a lot of people are afraid to say what they think or even ask questions about it. Do you think it's it's been taken to an extreme? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, I find it difficult um, to make generalizations because I think on the one hand, I, yeah, I tried to sort of paint one side where I think there, there are um, really morally laudable motivations behind a lot of this. And I think in many cases, it's, it's kind of a good, a force for good. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, I think there are certainly instances in which it can go too far. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, there are in a, in a way there are sort of competing values here. Um, one is kind of like this, you know, politeness and sensitivity on the one hand. And the other is the value of sort of uh, um, a no holds barred, um, intellectually honest, like pursuit of truth. Like the, the more that people are um, treading lightly and trying to express their thoughts in, um, you know, the most up-to-date terminology and avoid, um, you know, stepping on any toes, you, you lose something. You lose, some, you know, the kind of blunt, um, honest exchange of, of views. And I think in the end, like, you know, it, um, it's not even necessarily helpful, like to the extent that people say in a college classroom, to, to mm-hmm. the extent that, um, that certain students are just sort of biting their tongues because they feel like they're their thoughts are forbidden to be expressed aloud. Um, it it's not necessarily persuading anyone to change their minds. It, if anything, it's probably just generating resentment on behalf of the people who are biting their tongues. So um, yeah, so I think there are definitely dangers and downsides. Um, but again, I guess I find it a little hard to generalize because it kind of depends on the issue. You know, like I, I uh, there are certain things that that I don't. Um, want students saying in class, for example, like if someone comes in and, and they say, you know, just totally extreme example, if someone comes in and says, look, I think, you know, uh, that black people are inferior and I want to reinstitute slavery. Like, I think that comment should be forbidden in a college classroom. Like, look, that's, that's not something that you're, um, that you're allowed but to say here because that's racist. You used the word black just now. Uh-huh. Um, politically the correct term is African-American. Mm. I think um, so, 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 so. No, I think it's sort of changed over time. I, I think in a way that um, the term black has sort of, in my experience, really? sort of made a comeback, right? Um, but so I guess the point I wanted to make with the extreme example was that there are certain things that we do think there should be limits on what, um, what even, even sincerely held views people should be allowed to express in certain spaces. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, when it comes to uh, sort of micromanaging exactly which terms people are using when they're not um, intending any offense or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think it is, yeah, you can go too far. I mean, just to take one example, I think is really interesting yeah. is, um, among, uh, you know, people, people of my sort, sort of like educated academic types, um, the term Latinx became very fashionable for a while, right? Um, instead of Latino or Latina, put an X at the end, and this is sort of gender inclusive and so on. Um, but then there was this whole round of like empirical research where you actually go ask members of this group what they prefer to be called. And it turns out that 
most Latinx people do not like the term Latinx. And so now you have this kind of dilemma. On the one hand, uh, you have this fashionable term among sort of like, um, you know, mostly lefty academics who are like, oh, let's, let's call this group Latinx. And then you have the members of the group himself who are, for the most part, <laughs> by a large margin saying like, no, we don't want to be called that. Um, and that might be an example of a case where I would say, yeah, this, this kind of went too far, this, this search for like, uh, you know, finding new respectful language uh-huh. um, went too far by creating this sort of neologism that like members of the group itself don't really like. Um, and that's just one example. You know, yeah, there's probably lots of different um, different examples that you could get into here, though. There are. And due to lack of time, we are going to have to move yeah. on to our Sorry. last subject. Um, can you talk to me about Ethics Bowl at Virginia Tech? Yeah. So Ethics Bowl has been uh, my one of my sort of pet projects for the past year, although um, really it ended up being very much sort of student driven and student led. So um, Ethics Bowl is an extracurricular activity um, where people have kind of structured debate-like discussions of ethical issues. Um, So ultimately this is like something where um, teams from different universities will go compete against other universities They'll be presented with an, a sort of ethical um, case or an ethical topic, and they uh, the two teams will sort of provide their own analyses of the case, sort of saying what the moral dimensions are and advocating for a certain view. Um, we have started doing this at Virginia Tech. It got started in the spring. We now have a, uh, a club or a team that is Ethics Bowl. We've got about 15 regular members, and we're hoping to get some more in the fall. Um, but it's a lot of fun. We meet once a week um, to talk about these ethical issues and the plan, barring any freaky COVID uh, variants or anything like that, uh, is to travel to the regional competition in Georgia in, um, in November and actually go up against other teams in, um, in ethical debate. So I would highly recommend anyone who's interested in ethics school, get in touch with me, uh, send me an email, um, maybe attend a meeting to see if they're interested in uh, in this. And I should just add that not everybody is really interested in the competitive element of it. Some people that they love it, some people don't really want to be part of that. But um, most of what we do throughout the year is just get together and kind of have these discussions about ethical questions. So people can be sort of involved in the, the club or the group, even if they don't want to actually compete. Um, that's kind of, you know, an optional additional element. And typically the, the, for an ethics bowl meeting, there'll be one topic rather than, you know, kind of doing various different ones, um, but otherwise very similar. And, and usually it's kind of, you know, last year it was a Zoom room, but in the fall, it'll be a room full of people um, just kind of voicing different uh, views, kind of being like, well, what about, what about this? What about this? And, you know, it's most interesting when, when you get a range of perspectives and not everyone agrees on something. So, I mean, maybe this kind of goes back to the previous conversation, which is, um, you know, about people feeling uh, feeling comfortable to express sort of dissenting points of views. And I think that's one of the things that we really try to do in Ethics Bowl. Um, you know, we want to be respectful. We want to make sure that we're not offending um, to some extent. But we also want it to be a space where people who probably have different ethical perspectives kind of come together and have a really honest and open conversation uh, about the issues, even if, you know, and especially if uh, they disagree about them. Dr. Horn, thank you so much for your time today. 
Yeah, yeah, this was really fun. I'm sorry we don't have more time. <laughs> That's all right. I had a lot of fun too. If you're interested in reaching out to Dr. Horn, you can do so by emailing him at justinhorn@vt.edu. You can also follow Hokey Talk on Instagram and TikTok at Hokey Talk to hear more from the podcast. Hokey Talk is a podcast for the students. If you want to be heard on the podcast, you can contact Hokey Talk at hokeytalk1 at gmail.com or on our social media pages. Thank you for listening. My name is Aziz Malouche. I hope to see you back.